Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we spoke on facing and conquering giants. Join with us in Numbers 13. Today I want to talk to you about with the subject of facing and conquering giants. And uh, I'm reminded that all of us face giants from time to time. Some of you have been through a period in your life recently where you've been facing physical giants. Some of us have faced physical giants, spiritual giants, uh, and on and on. And we could, we could kind of break down this idea of giant and look at it in a number of different ways. But I, I'm here to tell you that even I, even I in my life have had moments when I have been faced with a giant in some form or fashion. And in reality, most people... If I were to ask you on the street, hey, how would you like to face a giant today? You're probably like, no, nope, I don't want any part of the giant business. In fact, I'd just as soon run as fast as I can and as far as I can away from giants in my life. And maybe you're there this morning. But I want to encourage you that uh, you and I can do exactly that. We, through Christ, we can not only face these things that come into our life, but we can also have the ability, by God's grace, to overcome or to conquer these giants. And I'm reminded, look with me in Numbers chapter 13, I'm, I think about, when I started thinking about giants, I'm reminded of the children of Israel. And uh, here we find them in Numbers chapter 13, two years in the wilderness, God has performed the miracle, He brought them out of Egypt, you know the story, they get out, they cross the Red Sea, and uh, they're out in the wilderness there, and uh, God has done some miraculous things just in the fact that he brought them out of Egypt. Would you not agree? And the fact that he brought them through the Red Sea and, and that whole story, and they've uh, murmured a time or two, and uh, they're now here two years out. They're, they're at the brink of the Promised Land. They're at the banks of the Jordan River here in Numbers chapter 13, and uh, they're right at the brink of crossing over into that land, as you know, that God had promised for them. And in fact, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, we'll not do that, but I encourage you to do a thorough Bible study, guys. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and you, one would be able to read how Moses had shared God's command to go and possess the land which he had already promised to them in Deuteronomy chapter 1. But also in Deuteronomy chapter 1, what you'll find in verse number 22 is that after Moses says, hey, God has said to go in and possess the land, you'll hear and you'll read rather that the people said, hey, you know what? I hear what God is saying, but let's send in some spies to check out the land first. And so Moses, despite God's command, despite Moses's, uh, despite God's command and his promise, Moses agrees to send the spies in to examine the land. And if you read through this story, and we're not going to stay here, but if you were reading through this story, you'll know that Moses then in verse number uh, uh, 3 and following, you'll find in Numbers chapter 13, you'll notice that he starts uh, to break up and send 12 spies in, one from every tribe. These guys, they go into uh, the Canaan land, as it were, for 40 days. And in verses 23 through 27, you find that they come out of the land and they come out bearing grapes. They come out bearing pomegranates. They come out bearing figs. And they share with the people how great the land is in verse 27. They say, man, surely this land, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. All things are good. The good life, so to speak, was waiting just on the other side. 
of the Jordan River. You know, I think the good life is waiting just on the other side for many of us. And we sit on the banks of one river because we, we are unwilling to exercise faith and cross over that river or to face the giant, if you please, in our lives. And so they're ready to cross over. But immediately after they give the glowing report, I want you to notice what verse number 28 says. See, they share all the news about the land. And then notice what verse number 28 says in Numbers 13. It says, nevertheless. Nevertheless, what? Hold on a second. That's like saying, hey, man, this is awesome. This is amazing. We've had an amazing day of worship. And man, the people were friendly at Battlefield. It was a beautiful sanctuary. You know, it was comfortable, the seats were. But then there was this guy. He was sitting down in the pew from me and just really messed my whole day up. Guys, they're making excuses. Notice what it says. It says, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The children of who? I mean, it's like, it's like, hey, it was amazing, but we saw pastor's kids there. Oh, what a problem. No, the children of Anak, listen, they're referencing something that they would have known as Jewish people. Listen, the Hebrews believed that the Anakims or the Anakites were a formidable race of giant warlike people. And these warlike people, they occupied the land, the, the southern land of, uh, of uh, Palestine near Hebron. And it was actually said that they occupied the land pre-flood. Okay? And they were, they were believing that the children of Anak were descendants of the Nephilim, which was a powerful race that dominated the land pre-flood. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4, it actually begins by saying there were giants in the earth in those days. And so the Hebrew, these spies, they come out, they're like, hey, man, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at the pomegranates, look at the figs. Man, it's beautiful. However, there are some giant people there, and we're scared. The Hebrews believed because these children of Anak were so big and they were so small, it talks about they actually said that they felt like they were grasshoppers in the midst of these giants. But notice what Caleb does. Caleb, in verse number 30 of Numbers chapter 13, Caleb stills, and that word stills means he silences the people. He's like, hush! And notice what he says. He says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. He and Joshua both are on the side of positive thinking. Their attitude is, listen, God's already promised it. Remember, Moses already told us that God said, go in and possess the land. All we need to do is exercise our faith and go in and possess the land. But when Caleb tells the people that, notice what their immediate response is. Notice what verse 31 through 33 says. But the men that went up with him said, notice their first words, we be not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, hold on a second, now they're bringing up evil report? They just shared a good report. They just shared how amazing the land was. Now they're bringing up an evil report. Notice what it goes on to say. It says, they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land though which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up with the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants. 
the sons of Anak, which come of the giant. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we, we were in their sight. And in fact, if you look at chapter 14 and verses 1 and 2, you read that the congregation lifts up their voice and they cry and the people weep all night. And then they start to murmur. They start to murmur not only against Moses and Aaron, but they start to murmur against God. And then if you go further and you read in chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, you'll see once again, bless their heart, Caleb and Joshua, they start trying to encourage the people, guys, it's okay. Because, listen, we still can go in and possess this land. We're able to do it. God's going to go before us, and he can go before us and do these things. And they get to the point that in verse number 10 of chapter 14, the people are so angry, the Bible says that they wanted to stone them. Because of their fear to face the giants of Anak, the sons of Anak, so to speak. Because of their fear, they start to rebel against Moses, against Aaron. And most importantly, they start to rebel against God. But here's what I want you to know. Is that that rebellion has a price. Because the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say years ago, talks about the fact that because of their faithlessness, they pay the price. God says, okay, here's the sentence. You were in there for 40 days, so for a year, for every day that you were in searching out the land, you're going to stay in the wilderness. And because everyone, he, he, he gives us this judgment that everyone who is 20 years of age or older, he says, over the next 40 years, while you sit out here in the wilderness and you wander in the wilderness, and instead of experiencing the promised land, he says, you're going to die off. He says, until this faithless generation dies off, this is where you're going to stay. This is the judgment because of their fear and their unbelief and their rebellion. He says, you're going to die out here in the wilderness without seeing the promised land. You fast forward, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. You need to see this. You fast forward after they have been out in the wilderness all this time. You get to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And guess where they're at again? They're right there on the banks of the Jordan. And Moses says, guess what? It's time to cross over into the promised land. It's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Notice what he says in verses 1 and 2. Moses reminds them that the giants that they were afraid of 40 years ago, they're still in the land. Notice what he says. He says, hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan What day does he say they're going to do it? He says, today. Today's the day that we're going to pass over Jordan. He says, to go in and to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself. Cities great and fenced up to heaven. A people great and tall. The children of the Anakims. Uh Uh-oh, why did you bring that up, Moses? Why are you reminding us? He says, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak. In other words, Moses says, it's time to take a retest. Could have crossed over Jordan 40 years ago. It's time to take a retest. And I got news for you. When we take the test over, it's still going to have the same questions. It's still going to have the same problems. The giants are still possessing the land. The walls are walled up. We're going to have to go into the land, but we're going to have to go in the land understanding. And he shares this in verse number three. He says, we're going to have to go into that land believing and understanding that our God is going to go before us. 
Our God is going to make a way when there seems no way to be made. He is going to go in before us and do what we cannot do. And the moral of this story, because I want to transition over to 1 Samuel chapter 17, the moral of this story is that you and I, sooner or later, we must all face giants in our life. You may be facing a giant this morning and you say, not today, Lord. I'll deal with that next week. I got news for you. It's still going to be there next week. You may be dealing with some, some uh, you may be, I'll be honest with you. You may be dealing with some uh, besetting or struggling with some form of sin. And you say, I don't want to deal with that today, Lord. I got news for you. It ain't going away until you deal with it. It's not going to go away. Same is true in my life. When the giants come, I have to face them, and I have to be willing to face them head on. Turn over with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. What's amazing is David is also someone else who faced giants in his life time and time again. And in this iconic passage of, of 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read this story about David when he's a young man. And what's amazing to me is David's a young man. He's filled with faith in the Lord. As a young man, he's unafraid to face the giants that come his way. He's fearless in battle. And not only is David fearless in battle, he's blessed. He's so blessed. And actually, he claims victory before it even takes place. In fact, David not only faces giants, but he was also able to conquer giants in his life. And as I said at the outset, you and I need to know that we can do the same. And that's why I want to talk to you about facing and conquering giants. No matter what you may be facing this morning, no matter what giant may be staring you down today, I want you to know that you and I, just as the children of Israel who were on the edge, they were on the brink on the bank of the Jordan River when Caleb said, we are well able to go in to possess it, I want you to know that you and I are well able to go in and face the giants of our lives. I also want to remind you that God has a proven track record. Does he not? Let's not be weary in well-doing because we're going to reap if we faint not, the Bible talks about. He has provided for everyone in this room in the past, and we have no cause to doubt him today. Guys, I want you to know something. We all are going to miss Josh and Jessica Dobler. I am going to miss him. But he has provided in the past. I have no cause to doubt that he will provide in the future. Amen? And so we must carry the love and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, and always. We cannot be fearful of tomorrow. We must face the giants head on in our lives. And I, I love this, this story of David. Listen, in 1 seven, uh, chapter 17, we see how we can accomplish great things. In the background of the story, notice with me in In the uh, first part of the story, the Philistines are gathered, set up on one side of the mountain, and the the armies of Israel are on the other side, if you read in verses 1 through 3. And you'll notice that the Bible says, and there was a valley that came between them. And then you read on how this this giant named Goliath of Gath, this nine-foot, nine-inch giant. Anybody ever ran across a man who stood nine-foot-nine or taller? I think not. Even if you're here tonight and you're as tall as Hank. Hank, what are you, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, something like that? Uh, you're still a grasshopper in the sight of a man who is nine foot nine. And so we see Goliath in the story. Nine foot nine, this champion of the Philistine army 
who's covered in 175 pounds of armor. If you do the weight measurements and you calculate it out, he's, his armor actually weighs 175 pounds. I got news for you. I don't weigh 175 pounds soaking wet. His armor weighed more than me. And he's carrying this spear that weighs 32 pounds. What a champion. And Goliath, you read the story here in 1 Samuel 17. He calls people out. He says, hey, listen, send me someone that'll fight me. And here's what the deal is. He says, if he wins, if he kills me, then we're going to bow down. Our army will bow down and serve you. But if I win, you all bow down and serve us. So he puts this challenge out. Notice what verse number 11 of our text says. Verse number 11 tells us that when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. That word dismayed means discouraged. And then it says, and they were greatly afraid. They were fearful. I think back to the children of Israel. They had the opportunity to cross over, but they were fearful. And because they were fearful, they failed to trust God. Notice Goliath continues his onslaught. If you've never read this story, I want to encourage you. And for sake of time, we're not going to read the whole passage. But I want to encourage you to read the story uh, as you have the opportunity. Because Goliath, he continues his verbal onslaught, his attacks, day after day, morning and night, 40 days. I'm not a mathematician, but 40 times 2 tells me that Goliath, 80 times, is challenging the armies of Israel. No one, no one is willing to face the giant. He is unrelenting. I said it this morning in our class, sometimes life seems unrelenting. We must face the giants. And today I want to consider just a few thoughts beginning at this point of the story in order to learn how you and I might not only face, but that you and I might be able to, with God's help, conquer the giants in our lives. Number one, if you're a note taker, like David, we must have the right goals. We must have the right goals. If we're going to face and conquer anything in our life, we must understand that goals are important. Notice in verse 17 and 18 of our story, Jesse, David's father, David has come back home. Jesse says, no, he says, I want to send some nourishment out to your brothers. And so he sends... uh, the nourishment, he sends uh, corn, parched corn, and ten loaves, and he says, run out and, and run out to the camp to thy brethren. And then in verse number 18, it talks about that David also carried cheeses uh, for the captain of the guard. And when he gets there, what he finds, if you read the story, is everybody is down in the valley. Remember, we had on one side the Philistine army and on the other side the armies of Israel. But now at this point, David gets there, and everybody is all postured like they're ready to do battle. But the reality, nobody's doing anything. The only thing that's happening at this point is Goliath is running his mouth. The giant continues to spew out his venom towards the armies of Israel. And David approaches his brothers. And as he approaches, the Bible tells us that he hears Goliath. He hears what Goliath is saying. Now remember, he's already done it for 40 days. So this is day 41. And so he hears Goliath again chastising and challenging the armies of Israel But notice how the children of Israel continue to respond. Notice what verse 24 says. I mean, they've already done this in verse number 11. The story's continued on. Now in verse 24, notice what happens. 
And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Notice, notice that little phrase. When they saw the man. They didn't even wait to listen to him. Goliath may have come out with a peace treaty. He didn't, but he could have come out and said something else. The Bible says when they saw him, they turned around and tucked tail and fled from him. This is the status of the army of Israel. By the way, who is king at this time? Saul. Does anybody know why Saul was chosen as king? He was head and shoulders above the rest. His stature, he was, he was a big dude. He was a strong man. Everybody looked at him and said, oh, there's our conquering hero. What is Saul doing? Absolutely nothing. And David hears Goliath challenging the armies of Israel. 41 days later, the same response, the same reaction, the retreat, they flee from the giant that must be faced. But this time when David hears Goliath spewing his venom, David is not pleased. In fact, David has seen and heard enough of the giant. You say, whoa, I wish he would have gone earlier. The reality is he's there today. He was there on that day and he's heard, he's seen enough of Goliath and he's heard enough of his venom. And his faith and confidence in the Lord allow him to challenge this giant. Notice what verse 32 says. And I'm jumping down, we'll get back. But I want you to see what David says to Saul. In verse 32 he says, Let no man's heart fail because of him, speaking of Goliath. He says, Thy servant. In humility he says, I'm your servant. He says, thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Perfect. Finally. Finally, someone's willing to face the stinking giant. All's good, right? Wrong. Because you see, sometimes we get it in our mindset. Well, you can't possibly be the one that we're going to send to face the giant. Think about Eliab, his brother. If you read the text, you'll find out what Eliab's doing. In fact, notice with me verse 25. Notice what verse 25 and following. See, because see, no one even was willing to face Goliath. And then when the Lord actually provides someone to face the giant, his motives begin to be questioned. Because you see, when David first heard Goliath spewing venom, the men start telling David what's going to be done for the man who faces and kills the giant. Notice what verse 25 says. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely uh, to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, that the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Notice verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto men, and, excuse me, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? 
He says, what have I done? Is there not a cause? He says, are you, are you watching what I'm watching? Are you watching this guy, this idiot, scream and defy the armies of the living God? Are you listening to what he is saying? Are you, are you even a, 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 a realistic about what's going on? He says, isn't there a cause? He said, because everyone here knows what's at stake. And everyone there knew exactly what was being offered as a reward. And everyone knew that Goliath was threatening the armies of the living God. And yet David was the only one who seemed concerned about it. And he comes on the scene, Eliab's running his mouth. He's jealous. And because of his jealousy, out of his jealous anger, rage, he accuses David of being filled with pride. Now you say, where do you get that from? Well, you remember when Samuel the prophet over in 1 Samuel chapter 16 went to Jesse's house? Who was the first son that was looked at to be the next anointed king of Israel? Eliab. Eliab. Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he says, let me see your boys. God has sent me here to anoint the next king. You know, he's on a mission. Here comes the oldest. How you doing? Nope, that's not him. Here comes the next one. Nope, not him, not him, not him, and on and on and on. And then finally, Jesse says, hey, do you have any more boys? And he says, yeah, there's little David. He's out in the field watching the sheep. Bring him here. And you know from 1 Samuel chapter 16 that Samuel anoints David. And as soon as he anoints him, the Spirit of God comes upon David. So Eliab's a little bit jealous about the situation. And so he already knew that his brother had been anointed. In fact, I'm guessing that Eliab, if you read the rest of the story, you know, after he tells Saul that he can do the job, Saul says, you're just a boy. He says, you can't do it, and we'll be there in a second. But David gives him evidence of why he believes he can go, because God has blessed him in the past, right? He had faced the lion, he had faced the bear. I'm sure Eliab knew about those uh, stories of David's battle history. Verse number 33, notice what Saul says. I just referenced it. In verse number 33, he says, you're not able to fight the Philistine. You're just a boy. We need a man to go out and fight this giant. We need someone who is stronger than you. We need someone who is actually bigger than you. We have somebody that is more skilled than you. You can't go out and face this giant. So I said to you that when we face giants, we must have the right goals. So what were David's goals? Where do I get in this story? Where can we see what David's actual goals were? I think you can see them right there in Scripture. Notice what verse number 26 says. David says, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Question mark. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Notice these words. That he should defy the armies of the living God. Notice verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Verse number 36. The servant slew both the lion and the bear. This is when he's giving Saul proof of his ability. He says, I have sl- I, the servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Notice why he says that. Seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. Goliath was mocking the God of Israel. And David said, not today. Not on my watch. I want to encourage you. I got a little loud there, didn't I? 
<laughs> I want to encourage you, not today. I'll walk out from the house of God, the place where we worship, and go into the marketplace and listen to people blaspheme God, take his name in vain, talk about how he is uh, 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 not even uh, there, and, and spew all kind of venom against the living God. David said, is there not a cause? David said, no, not on my watch. You're not going to talk about my God that way. I have a goal, and my goal is to bring God honor, to bring God glory. And I also believe David had another goal. You say, what was the goal? He not only wanted to bring God honor and glory, but he also knew that God had placed him right where he had him for such a time as this. You know, he's placed you in that pew that you're sitting in this morning for such a time as this. You say, well, no, I made a decision. Who do you think moved in your life to cause you to get up and put that key in the ignition and drive to the Lord's house? That's the Spirit of God that tells us we need to gather together for corporate worship. We need to do what's right according to God's word. Listen, when we come to -to face-to-face with the giants in our lives, we must ask ourselves, what is the goal? What is my reason? What is my motive for wanting to defeat this so-called giant in my life? Is the reason that I have personal gain or financial gain or wealth? Is the reason I want to defeat this giant so that I can brag about it, that I'll have bragging rights? or that I'll uh, obtain some type of power, or is the goal uh, that I just want to feel better? I counsel husbands and wives many times, and they come in, and the goal is always, I want to have agreement with my husband. I want to be heard. I want to be right. I want to do, just, I, I want it to be calm. How about coming in and saying, God, I want to glorify you? In everything. In everything. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse 31, it says, Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I think everything that we should, everything that we do, it should actually pass through this filter. Am I doing it for God's glory? Am I doing all for the glory of God? In bringing God glory, I got news for you. We're going to face from time to time, we're going to face some giants in our lives. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 17 and 18 remind us, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, the Bible says they are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, the things that you and I face in this earth. I got good news for you. They're temporary. They're temporary. You may be in the midst of battling a giant in your life, but they're temporary. They're not going to last forever. Only God in our relationship with him is eternal. When we face giants, our goal should always be to bring God glory, no matter the outcome. And I just say, by the way, that's how you can be assured of conquering the giant. You say, well, I went up against a giant, and I wanted to bring God, or, God honor and glory, and I don't feel like I won. You won. You won because you brought God glory. You brought God honor. Well, it didn't turn out the way I wanted. Do you notice the problem with that phrase? The way I wanted? When we bring God honor, when we bring him glory, we have conquered any giant that we will face. Number two, I think what's really cool is that Uh, In order to face and conquer giants like David, we must make use of proper weapons. 
<laughs> Look at verse 38 and 39. After David gives Saul the details surrounding his past victory with the lion and the bear, in verse number 37, Saul finally says, okay, go ahead, the Lord be with thee. But notice what he does. After he uh, nonchalantly gives him the go-ahead to go face Goliath, he says, hold on a second. Hold on a second, young boy. He says, here's what we're going to do. Verse 38, and Saul armed David with his armor. How heavy was his armor? 175 pounds. Uh, He put a helmet of brass upon his head. And he also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. David was determined to go into battle. But David was determined to go into battle with the weapons that he was confident in. I want to encourage you today, when we go into battle and we have to face the giants of our lives, I want to encourage you, make use of the proper weapons. Listen, God had always come through for David in the past. After all, David knew God and he believed that God was greater than Goliath. Obviously, he's getting ready to go fight him. David believed also that God had a plan for his life. So when David went out to face the giant, he was burdened to only take those things that he believed were going to work for him. Verse 40 of this story tells us, David, he really got armed. He took his staff, he took his slingshot, and he took some smooth stone. And after Goliath finishes hurling insults and insults at David even, verse 45 through 47 reveals Uh, the greatest uh, weapon in David's arsenal. Notice with me verse 45 and following. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. Then notice what, excuse me, notice what David says in verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air. He's talking about the rest of them. He says, not only are you going down, but all of them are going down. Notice, he says, and that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David's greatest weapon was his faith in his sovereign God. Folks, I want you to know this. And I was talking with somebody uh, uh, earlier uh, this past week. We can read all the books we want, all the self-help books we want. We can attend all the helpful seminars that are available. And we can and should be on our knees praying, 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 praying. But we need to be in God's Word. Because God's Word allows us to put the greatest weapon at our disposal. And that's the weapon of faith. Because we see the stories of faith. And we're reminded that men and women of faith, all down through the corridors of time, have accomplished great things, have faced giants in their lives. Not because of what some other man said or what some other woman said, but because what God has said in his word. Listen, in reality, without faith, you and I are never going to be able or willing, but we wouldn't even be willing not even able. You and I are never going to even be willing or able, for that matter, to face the giants in our lives. 
I'm reminded that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7, tells us to walk by faith, not by sight. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Amazing. Have Old Testament, New Testament, and they all say the same thing. They say that the just shall live by faith. That is exactly what David was doing. He says, you have defied the God of the armies of Israel. This day, he said, this day the Lord will deliver you. He's going to deliver thee into my hands. I like what Warren Wearsby once said. He said, giants are the bumps we climb on. He said, giants are the bumps that we climb on. Oh, let's be careful to make use of the proper spiritual weapons. And then I closed with the last thought. If you and I are going to face and conquer giants in our lives, we must expect God to do what you and I cannot do. We must expect him to do what we cannot do. Listen, physically, I've already made it perfectly, abundantly clear. David is no physical match for Goliath. Would you agree? He doesn't have the ability. Yet the Bible tells me he prevailed. You and I are no match for the things that come our way. Yet with Christ, the Bible tells me that you and I can be more than conquerors. One small phrase in verse number 47 gives us the key to David's success. And if you know anything about Battlefield Baptist Church, you know that this is one of the integral phrases in our church's history. Notice what it says in verse number 47. David has that phrase. It says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David expected, he expected. Listen, you and I must expect God to do what we cannot do. David expected God to win the battle. And David knew that he wasn't fighting for himself. He knew that he was fighting for the army of Israel. And he also knew that he was fighting for God's glory. He actually declares victory before victory is even his. Notice what verse 49 and following say. David put his hand in his bag. And took thence a stone and slang it. I love that word, slang. He slang it. Smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. Notice what verse 50 says. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, oh, shoes on the other foot now. When they saw that their champion was, was, was dead, they fled. You want to know why? Because they had put their faith in a man. Folks, we need to put our faith in God. We need to quit putting our faith in man and women and technology and everything else. Man, God's blessed us with technology. He's blessed us with the ability to use medicine for our good. But we need to put our faith where it belongs, and that's back in a holy, eternal God, just like David did. Listen, David faced, and by God's grace and with God's help, he not only faced, but he conquered the giant. Oh, my friends, faith took up the challenge that day. Faith stood with God and what had always served David well. Faith caused David to run towards Goliath to meet him and instead of running away. Faith caused David to face the giant. Faith caused David to throw the stone. 
Faith saw Goliath fall to the ground, and faith received the victory. When I was writing that down, I remember that old hymn from 1891. I said, man, you had to go a ways back to find that. In 1891, John Yates penned this song entitled, Faith is the Victory. And in verse 1 of that old hymn, he says this, In camp along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcome the world. He says faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. That's the message. I close by asking you a few questions. Number one, what type of giant, what type of giant are you facing this morning? I want to ask you, when you close your mind or in the recesses of your heart, you think about the giant that you're dealing with right now in your life. Are you struggling like the children of Israel were back in Numbers chapter 13? Even in Deuteronomy chapter 1, when God said, go and possess the land that I've given you, I've brought you out of Egypt, I've put you through the Red Sea, I've given you the quail, I've given you the manna from heaven, I've fed you, I've brought you here to the brink of promised land, go in and possess it. Are you like the children of Israel who were fearful and unbelieving really? And because of their fear and unbelief, they rebelled against God? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe maybe you fear whether or not your giant can actually be defeated. I want you to know by faith with the Lord right by your side, which by the way, the Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. With the Lord by our side, you and I, we can face and conquer anything that comes our way. Will I always prevail in the way that I think I should prevail? Absolutely not. But by faith, God's help. I know that when I bring God honor, And when my life brings him glory, it doesn't matter because I've conquered the giant that I must face in life. I want to encourage you and I challenge you this morning, each and every one of you, consider our goal in life to glorify God. Make use, make use of our greatest spiritual asset. That's faith. By the way, we wouldn't have a relationship with the Lord without it. So why not make use of it? And then number three, have an expectancy that God is not only going to hear you, but he's going to answer your prayers and do in your life what you and I can never do. I'm no giant killer. I'm no giant slayer. We were trying to think of names for this message. And I was like, does giant slayer sound better than giant killer? Is it more politically correct to say giant slayer rather than giant killer? The reality is I'm not either one of those things. But with Christ, I am more than a conqueror. With Christ, you are more than conquerors. Don't let this world pull you down. Don't let Satan defeat you. Don't let your flesh, don't give in to your flesh that says, I want to live according to the world standard. Man, you can be a conqueror. You can live a life that honors God. You can put those... 
practical weapons to use in your life. You can expect God to do great things. You say, how do you say that? I say it by the authority of God's word because I just shared with you how someone else has done it. Just as God worked in the past, he wants to work today and tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.